So I want to start off a little bit different this morning. Uh, I want to take a moment and say thank you to some people. Uh, so, so many of you are so thoughtful and generous during the Christmas holiday season uh, by giving gifts and uh, gift cards and, and, and cards to paid staff and pastors, and it really means a lot to us. But I'm really terrible at, at thank you card etiquette. I don't actually know how it works. Like, if you give me a gift to say thank you for what I do, do I send you a thank you? When does the process stop? I don't, I don't really know. And so I thought I'd use my platform to give you a very special thank you card. All these people, nobody else gets this, but you get this thank you card that's supposed to come up on the screen right now. I'm sure it's right here. It's the whole joke. It's going to fall flat without this thank you card. But okay, so we don't have a thank you card. There it is. <laughs> I knew it was coming. There's your special thank you card. Everybody, I, it really does mean a lot to us that, to know that you guys are thinking about us outside of Sunday mornings. It, it's really humbling to me. Somebody even thought early enough to get us, give me these awesome new kicks. You see those? Look at that. Yeah, super, super thankful for all that. It means a lot. Hey, I wanted to, I wanted to be really honest with you. I, I hope you're okay with that, with me being honest on stage. But I haven't been looking forward to, to doing this series in the slightest little bit. Uh, so much so that earlier this week I hacked into Ronnie's Facebook account and hoped that I'd be reprimanded and put on a leave of absence or something, but that didn't happen, so I'm actually up here preaching. And, and it's not because I don't think this series is important. Uh, it's actually because I believe this series is vitally important. It's extremely important. I could rattle off any number of statistics to you about the state of mental health in our world today, but I, I'm fairly certain that most of us are very well aware of what the state of mental health in our world today is like. And one of the things that actually jumped out to me when I was looking around is that one in five people, one in five people struggle with a mental health issue on a daily basis, which means whether or not you have a mental health struggle for yourself or not, you're probably sitting next to someone or, or really near to someone who does struggle with one on a daily basis. And I'll, and I'll kind of change the stat up a bit without any real scientific data, but I actually believe five out of five people at some point in their life will have some sort of battle with a mental health issue in their life. And I haven't been looking forward to this series because there's so much wrapped up in this, in this conversation. It's actually one of those subjects like so many in our culture today where there's a right way and a very wrong way to say things. Uh, there are right terms to use and there are incorrect terms to use. Uh, there are hurtful things to say and there are good things to say and they change by the moment. In fact, they probably changed this morning and I didn't know, which means I'm going to say the wrong thing and maybe offend somebody in the room. That's a real fear that I have, uh, that, I, that I don't want anybody to think that I, that I haven't done my research, that I don't want to talking about because I say something offensive. I, I don't want that. And so before we actually begin this series at all, I do kind of want to lay some groundwork. I, I, want to, I want to hit some things right off the top, kind of some qualifiers, if you will, going forward. The first one is this, that there's a very real stigma still around this subject, especially within the church. And although our, our collective culture has, un, has grown so much in our understanding and, and our acceptance, that there's still some aspects of mental health that have a very real stigma around, around them. And although it really isn't a, a main primary purpose of this series, my, one of my biggest hopes is that over the next four weeks, that those stigmas and those misconceptions and those falsities have been eradicated from our church. That at least our small local church, at least the people that, that come for these four weeks, that, that when we're done, that those, those mistruths, those, those things that aren't true, that aren't real, that, that they're, they're out of your head. That you no longer look at somebody who struggles with a mental health issue and have any other thought than love for them. That's, that's kind of one of my goals. Uh, the second one is this. There's a very real difference between clinical medical health diagnosis 
and circumstantial medical health issues. You can all see that I'm wearing glasses. I'm wearing glasses that, because it shows that, that there's a part of my body that just is not working correctly. It's not functioning up to top efficiency and not for one moment. Not for one moment when I walked out here did anybody in this room think less of me because I was wearing glasses. Nobody in this room, regardless of how long you've had faith in Jesus, no matter how great your faith is, looked at me and thought, oh, he probably isn't praying enough. He probably just doesn't have enough faith or he wouldn't have to wear glasses. No, no, I have a part of my body. I have an organ in my body that isn't functioning the way that it should. And the brain, the brain is part of the body too. And it's just as susceptible to malfunction and illness. And so if, if you're struggling with a brain health issue, if you have a brain health diagnosis, let me tell you what you will not hear over the next four weeks. You won't hear me say, you won't hear Pastor Jimmy say when he preaches a few of these. You will not hear us say, hey, you should just pray more. <laughs> That's what you need. you got to pray more and have more faith. Could God miraculously heal you today? Absolutely, he 100% could. But sometimes he chooses not to, and that's not for me to know, and it's not even really for you to know. But you will hear us champion over and over again that, that you should find help. That you should go get help, and that help is available to you, and that, that we want to do the best that we can as an organization to try and lead you to the right help. And then when you find that help, maybe you might even find the right medication, because we believe medication can really help. And then maybe at some point you could find comfort. Maybe at some point the, the wires could get put back together for you and you could find better brain health. It's not my fault that my eyes are failing me. And, and if you're struggling with any kind of brain health issue, it's not your fault either. Those are very real, biological, clinical, chemical things that are taking place inside of you that are causing issues for you. And so for clarity's sake, going forward for the rest of this series, when, when we're talking about the clinical side of mental health, we'll use the term brain health. But let me be really honest with you. We're not going to talk about it much at all. Uh, we're not talking much about brain health because regardless of the amount of preparation I've done for this series, and let me tell you, I've done more for this series than anything I've ever done standing on this stage. I've read more books I've listened to more thought leaders, a podcast galore, article after article after article, trying to be prepared for this series. Regardless of all of that, I'd still be woefully unqualified to talk about those issues because I'm not a clinical psychologist. I'm not a therapist, and I'm certainly not a doctor. But, but if we allow biology to control the entire narrative about mental health, then I believe we'll be missing out on some very real solutions. Uh, solutions that I might actually be a little bit more qualified to talk about. Uh, solutions to help all of us, whether we have had, are currently having, or, or will battle with a mental health struggle. Mental health, although a vital part of, is not brain health. They are two tightly integrated but completely separate things. Mental health, I actually believe, includes uh, these three things. I think it includes emotional well-being, psychological well-being, and social well-being. And mental health, it's not static. Meaning you can be really healthy for a long time, and then something circumstantial can change in your life, and then all of a sudden you're not so healthy. There's a change in your physical health, 
or you go through some sort of trauma or you lose a job or, or your retirement fund crashes right before you're about to sail off to your island, you know? You might be healthy mentally in one moment and then in a really rough spot the next. And your mental health, it impacts how you think, which will eventually impact how you feel. Uh, then it impacts how you act. Your, your mental health determines how you handle stress around you, how you relate to those around you, how you make choices, how you bounce back from a tough situation, how you may not bounce back from a certain situation. Uh, it might determine the friends that you choose. Uh, it can certainly impact and determine the quality or lack of quality of your marriage. And so this series, this series is important for all of us. We may not all struggle with brain health issues or brain illness, but, but we will all battle at some point, I believe, with a mental health issue at some point in our lives. And so over the next four weeks, we're going to do everything that we can to help you with that. We're, we're going to discuss common mental health struggles. We're going to talk about depression. We're going to talk about anxiety. We're going to talk about trauma and grief. And we're going to look at what the writers of Scripture actually had to say about it because you might be surprised to know they have a lot to say about it. And you need to know I'm, I'm going to do everything. I, Jimmy's going to do everything that he can to help you live life to the full, to, to help you live the life that God intended for you, even in the midst of those mental health battles. But if you're like me, surely you've wondered at some point or another, like, what is the root of all these things? If there's not a biological or brain health issue going on for me, what's the deal? Because it's not every situation that brings me spiraling down. It's not every circumstance that changes, that sends me off. It's not every health scare. It's not every financial crunch. It's not everything that takes place. So what is it about the ones that do send me that direction, that do cause me to kind of spiral out of control? Well, I certainly wouldn't claim to know them all. I don't, but there are some things that I believe to be a top reason. Uh, the reason I see the most in my life, the reason I see in other people's lives the most often that causes mental health struggles, and that's hopelessness. See, hopelessness is on its base level, just kind of simply said, it's thoughts of despair characterized by a belief that things will never, ever get better and that it's impossible to improve a certain situation. Have you ever found yourself there? Have you ever found yourself thinking things like, there's no hope that I'm ever going to get out of this. There's no hope that I'm ever going to get over this mountain of debt. Thinking that you're never going to find meaning or purpose in your life. Thinking that your marriage is hopeless and it's never going to have a chance. Thinking that you're never going to find joy in your life again after the loss of him or the loss of her. Have you ever, have you ever been there? If you have... You need to know that you're not alone. You need to know that, that we weren't the inventors of hopelessness. Something about our culture that I think is so funny is we always think we're the ones who created the worst of something or, the, or we're the ones that have to deal with it the most, unlike any other people in the past. Well, we didn't create hopelessness. It's been around since the dawn of time. And what I love about this book, what I love about the Bible is it doesn't read as a collection of books and letters about perfect people that God uses to achieve his purposes. In fact, on the contrary, this thing is littered with story after story of some really messed up people doing some amazing things for God. And some amazing people of God doing and feeling and thinking some really messed up things. One of them happens to be the prophet Elijah. 
Uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of him. He, he might have been the greatest prophet of all time. Uh, you know how you're not supposed to have a favorite kid, but you do? It's kind of, you know, I don't think God has favorites, but if he did, it was probably Elijah. I mean, he did do some pretty amazing special things for Elijah that we don't get to experience. You should read about that. It's pretty awesome. And still, Elijah, 600 plus years or so before the birth of Jesus, dealt with debilitating bouts of hopelessness and despair, even after all that he saw God do. Some of my favorite stories in Scripture actually take place in 1 Kings 18 about Elijah. Elijah is in the middle of this epic battle with 850 prophets of Baal. So think of like a, like a old school 1980s breakdancing epic battle, except nothing like that at all. I don't know what it's like, but it's, you got 850 prophets on one side, you got Elijah on the other. And the 850 prophets of Elijah, they, they, they say, okay, I'm going I'm to make this altar and then we're going to dance around it. We're going to cut ourselves. We're going to do all this crazy stuff to get our God Baal to consume this altar with fire. And they go and they go and they go and they go and nothing ever happens. And then Elijah says, okay, well, it's my turn. So he takes his altar and he says, all right, guys, um, let's make this a little bit harder. Why don't you pour some water on it? Why don't you pour a little more water? On it? In fact, why don't you build a moat around it, fill that with water, and then pour more water on it? And then he prays to God, and God sends fire, consumes the entire altar, the offering, and all the water. And then the best part, Elijah kills all 850 of them. Like, I don't know how big Elijah's posse was at the time, but I assume it probably wasn't very big. But they all get killed by Elijah and his guys. It's so awesome. But then right after that, he goes to the king, and it hasn't rained for three years. And so Elijah says, well, I guess I'll go ahead and pray for rain now. And so he prays for rain. The moment he prays, it begins to rain. And so Elijah got to see God do some of the most amazing things that's ever happened in history. And yet right after that, you think that he had been living on this huge high for God, wouldn't have any questions about anything. Right after that, this is what we read. He says, now Ahab, who was the king, told Jezebel, the queen, everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, now notice, she didn't send somebody to kill Elijah. She sent a threat. She made him think that that was going to happen. And then Elijah gets this text, and it really spins him out. And it says this, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I don't make your life like one of them. She's saying, if I don't kill you like you killed all the prophets. And so like in a moment, after seeing God do all these amazing things, he, he gets a text, and he can't handle a text or... He, he gets a message on one of his posts on Facebook, and it just spins him out. He, he feels completely hopeless just based on this one little statement from somebody who was trying to get him to think that he was going to die. And he goes on, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. And when he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there, which never a good idea. While he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to a broom bush, which is a, a small, low-hanging tree, and he sat under it. And prayed that he might die. And he prayed a prayer that I believe we've all prayed at different points in our life. He said this, I've had enough. I've had enough. I can't take it. Lord, just take my life. And then the Apostle Paul, who if you've seen a message here on a Sunday morning at all, you've probably heard us talk about the Apostle Paul. He did end up writing two-thirds of the New Testament, so we got a lot of material to work with. He actually says this at one point. He says, I don't want you to be uninformed. I don't want you to think that just because I'm planting all these churches, that I'm writing all these great letters, I don't want you to think that just because everything is great on the outside, that I don't have troubles, that I haven't experienced. We're under such great pressure, far beyond my ability to endure, 
so much so that I want to die. This should make you feel better. This should make you feel better because this shows that your mental health is not a barometer of your faith in God. That your mental health is not a measurement of how much faith you have in God. Some of the greatest men of God, filled with the most faith, still had moments where they allowed their fear and their circumstances, ultimately what they were thinking, their thoughts, drive them to the point of hopelessness. I believe from the beginning of time, hope has been the driving force of our mental health. So what is hope? Well, I mean, again, at its base level, hope is thinking or believing that something good can happen, that something good will happen, and that your circumstances actually can change. But when your thinking dies, when, when your hope dies, you die. Maybe not physically at first, but when hope dies, your, your joy dies. When hope dies, your peace dies. When hope dies, your ability to love and to be loved fully, it dies along with it. When hope dies, you, you can no longer believe that anything good can happen. You no longer think that your circumstances can change. See, the quality of your mental health is determined by hope, and hope lives and dies in the mind, which is why hope is at the center of so many of our mental health problems. To show you why I believe that a little bit more than I've already shown you, I want to look at the story of a guy named Jeremiah and why I start that. I'm going to tie my shoes so I don't trip. So Jeremiah actually wrote the book of Jeremiah. I know that was probably hard to figure out. He wrote the book of Jeremiah, and he was a prophet of God in the Old Testament about 627 years or so before the birth of Jesus. Prophets at that time were actually the mouthpiece of God, meaning God spoke to them, directly to them, like a, like a direct line to God, and they, they shared that with God's people. The Israelite people eventually became the Jewish people, which sounds like a pretty cool gig, right? Like you get to hear from God and then share with all the people what God has to say. It seems pretty awesome, except it really wasn't for Jeremiah. Jeremiah, unfortunately, he consistently found himself having to deliver not so great news to the people. Jeremiah was a lot of doom and gloom. Jeremiah was constantly telling God's people, hey, if you don't change, it's not going to go well for you. Which, in his own words, left him filled with great despair and loneliness. Jeremiah is also believed to be the author of another book of poems and songs called Lamentations, and it's actually believed by many to be the first emo music ever written. <laughs> an, entire, an entire book of how sad and depressed and hopeless he is. And I say believed to be written by because they didn't even sign his name to him, which is a total emo move, you know what I mean? Like, nobody even cares, nobody's going to listen to it anyway. So Jeremiah wrote these poems, and he wrote these songs because everything that he wrote about in the book of Jeremiah... All the prophecies that God had given him for the people of Israel had actually come to pass. They, they didn't listen to him. They didn't change like he was pleading for them to change. And then the Babylonian army came down and destroyed the entire city of Jerusalem, killing the people he loved, enslaving the people he loved, and leaving the city he loved in complete and total ruin. So Jeremiah was left hopeless. We're going to look at Lamentations 3, but I read the whole book of Lamentations preparing for this sermon, but don't, be, uh, don't think too much of me. It's only five chapters, so like it wasn't that long. But 
Uh, so I'm going to give you kind of what the synopsis of what was going on prior to this chapter 3. But I'm going to kind of give it to you in your own language so you understand. I'm going to take kind of the bible stuff out of it for you just so you understand what he's really trying to say. He says this, people suck. Life isn't fair. My body is a wreck. I can't sleep. I'm broke. I don't know how I'm going to pay my bills. I'm overwhelmed with hopelessness and God doesn't seem to care. That's what Jeremiah is going through at the point that we jump into Lamentations 3, verse 17. He says this, I have been deprived of peace. I have forgotten what prosperity is. So I say my splendor is gone and all that I had hoped from the Lord. He says, I have, I have no peace. I can't even remember what it was like when things were good. And everything I've ever hoped for. Everything I've ever wanted, everything I believed was coming for me is gone. I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. Well, I guess so, Jeremiah. I mean, if that's all you're going to sit there and think about, then that's what's going to happen. Your soul is going to be downcast within you. And just so you know, it even happened to prophets of God. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Well, what is it, Jeremiah? What is it? Because I'm right there with you. I don't have hope either. But I, and, I, and I've tried everything I can try. I've, I redid my budget. I've been putting good vibes into the universe. I, I do yoga three times a week to try and center my mind. I, I do meditation while I'm doing yoga. I even do this thing where I stand in front of the mirror and I do this positive self-talk so that I know that I'm a good person and that I have hope for the future and it lasts a few minutes and that's all I got. So what is it, Jeremiah? What did you set your mind on that actually brought about change for you that you began to experience hope? And he says, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. Other versions say his mercies, they never fail. They are new every single morning. Great is your faithfulness, I say to myself. The Lord is my portion. The Lord is everything I need. The Lord gives me everything I need. He provides everything I need. And therefore, I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him. See, earlier I gave us a definition of hope. A definition that I believe is, is pretty ground level. I think it applies for all of us, regardless of our faith in Jesus. But for those of us who do have faith in Jesus, we have a different kind of hope. And we have the type of hope that I, I actually believe we all truly long for, whether we know what we're looking for or not. Our hope is actually this. Our hope is certainty that God will fulfill all his promises in his time and in his way. And so we set our minds on the hope that we have in him. Not that we can make things better, but that he can make things better. Not that we can find the way out of our situation or our circumstances, but that he's already laid out a path for us to get through our circumstances. Not that we can create our own purpose or meaning or identity, but that he has already given us purpose. That he has already given us meaning and an identity. See, Jeremiah knew. He knew that to find hope in the seemingly hopeless situation that he had to set his mind, that he had to turn his thinking toward God and have certainty that God will fulfill all of his promises. 
The Apostle Paul, he actually knew it too. I, I kind of cut his story a little bit short. Uh, but let me finish the rest of his story. He says again, I, I don't want you to be uninformed. I, I want you to know that I've experienced pain and struggle. I want you to know that I've been under great pressure, far beyond what I thought I could do, endure, so much so that I wanted to die. But this, this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God. On the God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such deadly peril, and he will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. The Apostle Paul knew. He knew that to find hope in a seemingly hopeless situation, that he needed to set his mind, that he needed to focus his mind, he needed to fill his mind with the only one who can bring true hope. So let me ask you what, do you, what do you find yourself setting your mind on? Now, when you're struggling with hope and meaning and purpose and hopelessness, what are, what are you filling your mind with? Because if you're not filling your mind with hopeful things, I'll just tell you, you don't really stand a chance. So I think the way that we fill our mind with hope, that the best way is to, to start your day with hope. To start your day with hope by starting your day with Jesus. See, to have certainty in the promises of God and the fact that he's going to fulfill those promises, we have to know what those promises are. See, a few months ago, Ronnie preached a sermon on the helmet of salvation in the... Won't back down. down. Forgot it last time, too. In the Won't Back Down series. Uh, and he said this, that, this statement that really stuck out to me. Uh, I, wanted, I, want, I wanted to say it again today because I think it fits so well that you don't put on a helmet when you're about ready to get into a crash. That's too late. You put it on before you ever get on the motorcycle. In the same way, it's easier to set your mind on the things of God, to have certainty of his promises and the fact that he will fulfill those promises when you actually know what those promises are before the circumstances come, before the thing changes in your life, before the health scare, before the budget crunch, before you lose your job, before you lose your spouse, that you've already put these things in your mind so that you're prepared to pull them out and use them in that moment. It just so happens to be the first of the year. Uh, I'm not talking about resolutions. I'm just talking about fresh starts. I think it's a great time. It's a great time to start a new habit of trying, trying to start your day with hope, trying to start your day with Jesus. Uh, we have this QR code that's going to come up on the screen here that, that if you scan this code, it'll take you straight to the version Bible app. You may or may not have the Version Bible app, but if you do, uh, when you scan this, it'll take you straight to Relevance account on that page. Uh, we've kind of curated a, what we think is a great reading plan to start the year off with. So it's, it, I encourage you, start the year by starting your day with Jesus. Uh, as you read through this plan, as part of our church, as, as relevant as your church on the Version Bible app, you'll get to do that in community if you choose to. You, you can connect with people and see the people within your church that are also reading every single day to, to start their day with hope. And the other one is this, to, to worship until hope finds you. Worship until hope finds you. It sounds a little strange, but I didn't come up with this. Jesus said it. Jesus said in John 4 that he's looking for worshipers, that he's actively looking for worshipers. And so if you're struggling to find God in your situation, worship. He'll find you. Asaph, who, who's kind of the, the misty of King David's court, like he was, 
He was kind of hired to lead worship for King David. He, he wrote a lot of the Psalms. He, he wrote the Psalm 73, and in Psalm 73, he's kind of he's lamenting as well. He's kind of struggling with some things going on in his life. He's talking about the fact that so many of these other people, that the people that are far from God are like, they're, they seem seemingly wealthy, and, and they, they all look good, and they all have abs, and they, 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 you know, they, they, they're succeeding in life, and for some reason, he's, he's not. It's not going well for him, and he can't figure out why. And he says this. He says, when I tried to understand all of this, it troubled me deeply until I entered the sanctuary of God, until he worshipped God. See, Friday I was driving around a little bit. On Fridays, I, my wife is a property manager, and so on Fridays I do some maintenance for the properties that she manages. And, and I, like wearing, I like Fridays because on Fridays I get to wear work boots and like these work pants and, I, and like a T-shirt with some paint on it. And I feel manly for one day a week. I get this one day. The rest of the days I'm in like joggers and I'm typing on a computer. So this is my day to feel manly, right? And so I'm in my truck doing manly, manly things, driving around, and, and this song comes on. The song is No Other King by North Point Worship. You should look it up. And then these lyrics come on, and I begin weeping in my truck with my man boots on. It's just a weird combination. But God met me in that moment. And these were the lyrics I, I wanted to share them with you today. Jesus, no one is like you. Jesus, there's no one beside you. Of this I'm convinced. There's no greater love. Forever all my hope is in no other king. I'm not the king of my kingdom. My hope is not in me. This country is not, not God's kingdom. I, I, my hope is not in this country. My hope is in no other king. I fix my mind on you. And so start your day with hope. Worship until hope finds you. And be still and know hope. Psalm 46 says, be still. Be still. And know God. Be still. And know God. See, we have to clear our minds. We have to clear our minds before we can fill our minds. And this is such a, like a little softball, like every pastor would use these examples. And I tried to be smarter and better, but I couldn't come up with anything else. Because it's so true, but social media, social media and news and our phones and computers and everything that we're staring at, we know, you know, I don't have to tell you. That doesn't fill you with hope. It's filling you with everything but hope. And so let's just set it aside. It's another good first of the year kind of thing. Set limits for yourself. I have, a, I have limits on my phone that when I've reached a certain point of social media in a given day, a message will pop up that I've reached my limit. And a lot of times I just close it and I keep scrolling because I'm human. <laughs> I'm human. It's what we do. But at least I've set the limits. You haven't set limits. <laughs> the story of Elijah, I kind of I cut that off a little bit early too. But the story continues. Elijah ends up in a cave. He ends up in a cave all by himself. Isn't that kind of what hopelessness feels like at times? Like it's dark, you're by yourself, you know there's a way out, but you can't really even see it, and there's probably bats in there. Like it's crazy. And, and while he's in the cave, like 
a mighty wind rushes by, and he rushes out to the mouth of the cave, and he listens, and he, he waits to hear God, but God's not there. And then rain comes, and then fire comes, and he rushes out to the, to the mouth of the cave, and he waits to hear from God, but God's not there. And then a whisper, a breeze, a, a whisper, and God speaks. You see, we always look for God in the dynamic, but he's so often in the intimate. The quality of your mental health is determined by hope, and hope lives and dies in your mind. You have to hear me say this. I want to make sure this is really clear, that regardless of if you're a follower of Jesus or not, I want you to have hope. I want you to know that things can get better. I want you to know that your circumstances absolutely can change. But, but something far more infinitely more encouraging to you. God, your creator, your heavenly father, he wants you to have hope as well. He wants you to have hope like you've never experienced before. He wants you to have hope that can only be found in him the Apostle Paul, he had this kind of exhortation uh, that he wrote and, and said over the people of Rome in the letter that he wrote to them. And I want to I read it over you today as well. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. So that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and all peace as you trust in him, as you fix your mind on him, as you fill your mind with him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Would you bow your heads? Our greatest hope is found in the finished work of Jesus on the cross. And his final and complete and total payment of our violation of sin against a holy God. And then in his victory over death, proving that when we put our faith in Jesus, this life is not the end. That we can have hope for a better future that the pain and the suffering that we will experience on this earth is not the end because he has overcome the world. If you're here with us this morning, if you're watching online and you've yet to experience that kind of hope, yeah, maybe you can talk yourself into feeling better some days and maybe not as much other days, but if you've yet to experience the real and true everlasting hope of Jesus, you, you can experience that today through faith in Jesus. Just pray this prayer with me and begin a life with Jesus. Say, Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. Jesus, I know that left on my own, I am completely and utterly hopeless. Would you forgive me of my sin? And Jesus, would you lead me from this day forward and be my Lord? God, I'm so thankful for your presence in this place today. I, I can feel 
your movements. I, I believe that you're speaking to hearts far deeper than any words that I can say. So God, would you continue to work? I pray for the church. I pray for all these people. I pray for myself that as we walk out these doors today that we can live life filled with hope. That we can make it a priority in our lives to start our day with hope. To worship until you come and find us and be still until we can hear your voice. Because God, I believe you want to speak to us. And it's just so loud. God, we thank you for the start of a new year. And we pray that you would move mightily over the next year in our church and in our community. We love you. We pray all these things in your name. Amen.